AgTech360 discusses breakthrough technologies that are impacting growers, businesses, and consumers. Hear from industry and academic experts about what's on the horizon. Hi, I'm Adrian Percy, Executive Director of the NC Plant Sciences Initiative and your host on this podcast today. Today we're going to be talking about foodborne pathogens. The CDC has estimated that every year in the United States, one in six people get sick from a foodborne illness, so an incredibly high number. And here to talk to us today about some of the research that are being developed at NC State University Labs is Sid Thakur. Sid, thank you so much for joining me. I wanted to get started by talking a little bit about you and kind of how you got into this topic and, and have more or less did, you know, dedicated your research to the study of foodborne th- pathogens. Well, thank you, Adrian, for the, for the invitation. I'm really excited to be here. Uh, yes, so foodborne pathogens, uh, whether it's research, education, engagement, has been very near and dear to me for the last, I would say, 20, 25 years. I really started to get interested in, in this space uh, when I was doing my vet degree in veterinary sciences back in India and really got into it once I got into my master's, which was in veterinary public health. And I remember very clearly I was in the lab and I streaked my first plate and I knew this was it. Uh, because very next day I saw something growing on those plates and I was like, well, that's really cool. You know, I did something and I saw something on, you know, uh, like a real actual result. So the, I was really fascinated by that. Got into working with dairy cows, looking at listeria in milk. And I knew that it had a very, uh, you know, strong impact on human health also. And that was also the very first time I started getting into the One Health space. You know, what is really One Health? Uh, learned about the term, uh, got interested in it. So it's been a long journey. And then I came to NC State, actually, at the College of Veterinary Medicine for my PhD. And then I got a chance to come back to NC State in 2007. And I've been head of faculty. And my whole research over the last 17 years is focused on foodborne pathogens. Fantastic. And I'm really glad that you mentioned the global One Health concept. And let's come back to that at the end, because I think that's a a very interesting topic that has be, you know, become very, very fashionable, very trendy to be part of, but very important at the same time. So Absolutely. let's talk about that in a second. But talking about foodborne pathogens, so what are some of the very common methods that we see out there to identify and reduce the spread and the development of foodborne pathogens? Yes, so of course, you know, uh, in a laboratory setting, there are traditional methods that you use that have been in existence for so many decades, and they're still out there. There's constant improvement in the way we detect these pathogens. As you can imagine, over the last 10, 15 years, the role of genomics has really, really taken, uh, you know, the whole identification, characterization of these pathogens to the next level. The other important aspect of this whole process is the connectivity that we have now with not just labs that are focused in the U.S. or in one part of the world, but how the data is being generated, and more importantly, how this data is actually compared to each other. As you know about foodborne pathogens, they are always evolving. They, you know, it's like an arsenal that they they build across, you know, in their in their repertoire and. Uh, one of the key focus for us in this new world uh, where pathogens are evolving is to how quickly we can find them and how quickly we can stop them in their tracks. So the role of genomics uh, has really played a very key 
part in 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 that narrative but we still rely on the you know good old you know classical way of isolating these pathogens in the lab that can take anywhere from 3 to 5 days so basically what you started your career what got you into this at the start taking bacterial cultures and, yes. and seeing them grow up very quickly hopefully yes i mean i think i've started to call myself old school these days <laughs> as compared to some of the you know work my students or some of the you know uh, new you know army of students is graduate students is doing the classical way of isolating them in the lab still holds true uh, in majority of the world right not everybody has access to the new equipments that we have they are getting cheaper definitely but still maybe out of reach of you know you know majority of the you know labs that are working around the world but so the classical approach still holds true uh, you know genomics can do answer a lot of different things but as we'll talk later in my own research on antimicrobial resistance we still need to figure out you know whether they are resistant to a particular drug or not and for that you still need an isolate in hand so what trends have you then noticed in recent years i mean you've alluded to some of the 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 pathogens out there listeria and e coli and others but you know what have you seen increases or decreases in these types of of of, of uh, foodborne diseases and and what new ones are there potentially that you're you're hearing about yes yeah, so i think uh, you can uh, look at the surveillance based data that you know from different parts of the world so in the us for example we have different surveillance programs that try uh the food net is one of them um you know that has been tracking pathogens since 1996 and you can see a trend of how they're increasing or decreasing i was looking at the data recently and since 2021 you can see a slight increase in some of these cases um uh, in the US so it it's it's very dependent on you know the infrastructure and the setup you have in the country and how you're tracking it we are definitely have a lot of impact of these pathogens on our public health system we also have to remember that we look at these numbers that are being reported by say CDC or FDA and other aspects but there's a big f- aspect of under reporting how many times have we you know had a we were sick and we's like all right i'm just going to take rest at home and uh, not go and meet my doctor but our public health agencies definitely are doing an amazing job uh, as you can see from the surveillance and how quickly they try to translate that outbreak all to the public in terms of recalls so i guess now we'll get into maybe a little bit of your research but um i mean in general what are the technological advances that we're seeing that have evolved here in the United States but also you know you may mention to other countries around the world uh, which i guess can combat these types of issues to a greater or lesser degree dependent on availability of of equipment or whatever but what kind of advances have you seen in this sector yes so uh, i think the whole genome sequencing side of the equation is definitely very important over here um let me give an example you know fda's uh, genome tracker program is something that sort of vertically and horizontally integrates genomics data from around the world not just in the us my lab is an fda genome tracker lab so we have you know a couple of my six sequences in our lab that we use to generate around 5 to 600 whole genome sequences every year when you look at the genome tracker database that particular program now has more than a million whole genome sequences that have been generated from not just the US but outside the US also and they are all available on NCBI for people to to go there uh you don't have to be a member of a particular lab or a particular organization uh to access that data and i think that the 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 concept of connecting you know the world under one platform is very important 
because pathogens don't respect international boundaries. I can go to one part of the world, pick something up, and bring it back to the U.S. in a matter of 24 to 48 hours. We are importing all kinds of food products from around 150 ports in the U.S. on a daily basis. You know, how do we ensure that the product that's coming into the U.S. that goes to a retail store is safe and sound, right? So there are parameters and checks to do that, and it's all about connecting these different aspects in different parts of the world together. So definitely in the field of genomics, in the basic concept that we cannot create surveillance programs just in the U.S., we have to create surveillance programs in different parts of the world. And I think the pandemic has clearly shown us, you know, pathogens can emerge in any part of the world and can really create a lot of challenges in your backyard. So this concept of combining these efforts together and then really sharing the data uh, where you don't have to really go through a lot of hoops to share that data and how quickly we can share that data is very important. And I think that that narrative has changed over the last five, 10 years where people were not willing to share the information that they had, but I think there's much more openness because they know that you know problems can emerge in any uh, uh, part of the world. In my own area of research, which is an antimicrobial resistance, that's the best example I can give you. We have hot spots in different parts of the world where we see these, these new drug resistant strains emerge and I can give you so many different examples from my colleagues from my own lab where they can emerge in one part of the world, can quickly come over here. A uh, couple of examples I can give you, is, you know, uh, Salmonella ricin is a type of Salmonella serotype that was never seen in the U.S. It came in California for the first time, uh, imported uh, white pepper from Thailand. Mm. And then as it transitioned, as it journeyed through the U.S., it picked up three resistance genes, and all of a sudden it started to cause problems in pigs, it started to see it emerge in humans. And so again, you know, it was because we had this surveillance program that we had this fingerprint of this particular salmonella serotype. We knew it was from Thailand, never seen in the U.S. But another example how quickly if we had no connection with Thailand, we would not figure out where it's coming from. And many of the times, you know, the challenge has always been where it emerged. You know, but now with this integrated databases we have, we can quickly make those connections. And these pathogens are everywhere. They are in plants, uh, they are in food products, they are in food animals, they are humans, they are in the environment. And that's why, you know, the whole focus on One Health. The North Carolina Plant Sciences Initiative impacts lives through innovative applications and discoveries. By leveraging cutting-edge research and technology, we address global challenges related to agriculture, sustainability, and human health. So let's talk about that because um, I think this whole concept of One Health and of course you are the uh, new, newly inaugurated director of the Global One Health Academy here at NC State. So what is One Health? I mean, what is this concept that I've been hearing a lot about and how uh, there are, you know, relationships between, you know, our environment, between humans and the animal kingdom? Yes, yeah, so I think, I think the key word, Adrian, you just said is interconnected, not just humans, but humans, animals, plants and the environment all together. And, and the basic concept is we cannot really improve the health of one side without also improving the health of the others. And there are many different examples. So, you know, right now, for example, the pandemic is a very good example, right? It merged in bats and then through, you know, through, you know, wet markets, found its way in, into humans. And 
and I, I totally understand the focus has been on the vaccines and make sure people are vaccinated. But eventually, we would love to go into those caves to make sure a future coronavirus does not emerge. And for that, you need veterinarians on board. We are now finding, you know, we find the virus in wastewater, so people in environmental sciences, right? Is it in food? So, you know, we want people from the plant sciences to, you know, to work with us. So it has to be, it has to be an integrated approach. And that is what One Health really does. It, it really says that if you have a problem, that's a global problem, that's a, a problem that has different facets to approach, one person with one expertise cannot solve it. You need to come in, work as teams, bring different disciplines to the table, learn from others' perspectives, how they would approach a particular problem. An engineer is gonna, you know, look at a same problem from a very different thought process than say a veterinarian would or a plant scientist would, right? And that's the beauty of One Health. It brings these people from different disciplines together to really work on problems, which are really global problems, which are big problems. You can't solve it just by bringing somebody who has just a single way of approaching a problem. So I'm really curious, man. this very holistic approach that you're describing that involves folks with very, very different types of backgrounds, whether they're engineers or geneticists or pathologists, whatever it may be, how, how easy is it to get those groups together and to actually have them work on a common project and be able to even communicate with each other? Yeah. So communication is very important, right? You, especially if you're bringing people from different disciplines together. Usually my experience has been you need a champion. You need somebody who can bring those people to the table or force them to come to the table and at least have a conversation. Uh, the beauty of One Health is it's a big umbrella. Uh, and so in my experience, what I've seen is people find a space for themselves, whether it's based on their expertise, whether it's based on their interest in the, under that umbrella. And so you need a champion. A lot of people still ask me, Sid, can you just tell me what is this One Health? <laughs> I've heard comparative medicine, I've heard comparative health and all these kind of definitions. But I think One Health has now really you know, solidified in terms of you know, unifying people from different disciplines to work together. Recently, there was a, a quadripartite agreement between the World Health Organization, FAO, uh, the World Health uh, Environmental Program, the World Health Animal Organization. They have come up with the plan. It's a 2022-2026 plan with six very clear objectives, which is very focused on One Health. And it goes all the way from capacity building to training to stopping future pandemics to look at you know, how infectious diseases are circulating within a particular country, what we can do. Uh, and so I really like that because it, what it is doing, it is really bringing these people and these groups who in the past would work in silos or have their own missions and you know, objectives to focus on is to say when it comes to global issues, you know, these global agencies need to work together. So it can be a challenge because sometimes people say, well, I don't see how I fit myself into it. But I think I've seen much more openness uh, over the last five to 10 years uh, when it comes to One Health. And you can also see that translate into funding agencies because many, many would say, well, is there a funding opportunity available? And you can clearly see, started with the Gates Foundation, uh, and now it is trickling into whether it's NSF, uh, the NSF, uh, you know, preparing, you know, the pandemics, the PIP2 grant has One Health all over it now. It was not in the phase one. And uh, PIP, just for people, so that's uh, looking at the spread of pathogens, 
between different types of organisms and how we can be more prepared for the future pandemic. Yes, and it's focused on preventing future pandemics, how we can, you know, uh, again, bring people from different disciplines. And so for a big program like that, you know, single PI is not going to do it. And so, you know, when I look at the different, you know, groups working on it, it's, it's, an, it's an integrated approach. It's people with different disciplines. Um, if it's an influenza, you have somebody who's, who's a swine veterinarian or somebody who's working on a modeling of how these pathogens transmit. There are people who are experts in, com you know, translating a research to at, at the community level. So you, you need that, you need that interdisciplinary approach and that is what One Health does. By definition, it is multidisciplinary. The, the moment I say One Health, you won't find people with, say, just one particular exper expertise sitting in a, in a room. You know, and, and, and I love that because, you know, you learn, you know, from different perspectives. Um, every day I meet somebody who had like, I have no idea that existed. And when I listen to, you know, how they, they target a particular problem that I had a very different way of, you know, looking at it because I've been working on that particular problem from that angle for 20, 25 years. It's almost like an inherent, inherent bias I have to approach a problem. And then all of a sudden, a person comes to environmental sciences and is like, well, Sid, have you thought about this? This I'm like, oh, my God, no. And, and that's the beauty. And so, you know, that's at least at, for me, that's what attracts me to One Health because I get to meet people. And I, you know, I have now realized that most of the problems are One Health. Now, definitely I have a bias, but, but I think bringing people from different disciplines to work on a problem is fascinating in itself. Yeah, I mean, that's the power of interdisciplinarity, as you say, and the interconnectedness, the holistic nature we have to look at things. And I do think it's fascinating. You know, we are very privileged, I think, in this country to have, in general, a very safe food supply. But things do happen, and the numbers I said at the start indicate that this is something we have to be incredibly vigilant about. And and do research and put resources behind. And so thanks, Sid, for kind of all the insights you provided because you're clearly one of those folks that are helping to you know, preserve the sanctity of our food supply moving forward. So thanks a lot. Thank you, Edwin. Really appreciate the opportunity and uh, thanks again for inviting me. AgTech 360 shares relevant news and breakthroughs with audiences across the globe. Stay connected and join the conversation by following NCPSI on social media. 